0: Well, this morning I've entitled the message, Good Soldier of Christ. Now, I don't know if you've been reading through the New Testament, but if, you, if you've read through it, you'll realize that, that Paul refers to Christians as being soldiers of Christ. Multiple times he, he, makes, he draws the parallel between Christians and soldiers. And as I look at this, I really think this analogy that Paul is using sheds a lot of light on who we are, who we're supposed to be, as Christians. And as you guys know, we live right next to the military bases, so we're all all comfortable with what a soldier is. We all recognize that a soldier is a person that's enlisted in an army or engaged in military service. And all soldiers have certain characteristics. Matter of fact, when I was in the army, when I was in basic training, they told us that even if you go out into the world People will still know that you're soldiers because of the way you walk, the way that you talk. There'll be certain characteristics of who you are because you're a soldier, and it's not something that you'd be able to hide. People would know you as a soldier. Probably the most, giving, the most telling uh, uh, a way to tell is their haircut. <laughs> but even the way we walked was different because of the way you're trained. But as you know, all soldiers have certain characteristics other than just what they look like or how they act, but they have have certain internal characteristics that should be true of every good soldier. One, we often know that soldiers are engaged in wartime efforts. I mean, that's actually the, the ultimate purpose of a soldier is to defend the homeland that they're enlisted in, to fight for that country and the people of that country. And as Christians, we're at war as well. Ephesians six twelve says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I use the New Living Translation because they translate that word as we are we are not fighting, which is an indication of war. But we're not just sitting back as Christians. As Christians, we don't just, you know, join the, the kingdom of heaven. We don't just become children of God and get to sit back and wait for our time to come. But the truth is that right now we're at war. Other translations say that we're struggling or that we're wrestling, not against flesh and blood enemies, but of evil rulers, authorities in the unseen world. We also know that a soil, a uh, soil. I just mixed the word soldier and loyal as I was reading it. <laughs> we know that a, a soldier is supposed to be loyal or committed to those who enlisted them. A good soldier is loyal. You know, in this country, and actually most militaries, that when you sign up, once you sign on the dotted line and you've committed yourself to the army, it actually becomes a criminal offense if you decide you want to quit whenever you want to quit. They call it going AWOL. Anybody ever heard, heard AWOL? It means absent without leave. That means that you have to be given permission to leave the army at that point. There is Once you've committed, you've committed. And the truth is, whether you want to be loyal or not, you're going to pay the price if you're not. And in Paul's day, when he's talking, he's giving this analogy with the soldiers. Jail time wasn't what they were going to get if they, uh, if they deserted Jail time was the least of their worries if they deserted their posts. And that's actually the difference between mercenaries and soldiers. A mercenary is just in it for the money. A mercenary is a gun for hire. There's no loyalty there. If if you come up against a mercenary and you can offer them a bigger paycheck, more than likely they're going to jump ship because they're in it for the money. And I think that's why the enemy is always trying to tempt us with things that look, that appease us, that are, look enticing to us. Because he's trying to find out, are you a mercenary or are you a soldier? Do you have loyalty to your king? Are you willing to jump ship when the grass seems greener on the other side? If it seems like it'll be a little bit better or a little more fun. Are you a mercenary or are you a soldier? We also know that a soldier is willing to die for his country and his countrymen they're willing to lay down their lives the reason why that we have freedom in this country is because soldiers went and fought for it they gave their lives so they could be so that we could be free in this country when i was in the and basic training we would go to we had all the normal military training we would also go and sit in on meetings every now and then for the more technical type training and one day we're sitting in training and and, uh, and over the past week or so we've been hearing the drill sergeant stuff talk about missiles being fired in Iraq and things were heating up over there. And, and they had been kind of letting these rumors out. And then we're sitting in this meeting a couple weeks later and the captain, our captain comes in. And then eventually the, the base commander comes in and they begin to tell us that, that uh, things are heating up in Iraq again and, and we are going to, to have to get ready to go to war again. And matter of fact, what they're doing now is even the soldiers in basic training, they're accelerating their training so that they can be sent right away to the front lines. You know, when they, they encouraged us, they said, don't worry, we have the best We have the best equipment in the world, the best arm in the world, everything's going to be okay. But since you guys are in training right now, this is your your last chance. If this is not what you're willing to, if you're not willing to go and lay down your life for your country, for your fellow soldiers, and for the people that live here, go ahead and raise your hand now. And I remember sitting there thinking, man, this is definitely not what I wanted, but I, I made a commitment. This is what I signed up to do. I'm not excited about it, but this is what I signed up to do. So thank God I didn't raise my hand. Because some people did. And it was not a good day for them. (laughs) Because it turns out this is all one big giant trick to try to see (laughs) who will will stand up. There was no missiles fired. This was all a ploy put together by the drill sergeants to basically find out who who was going to cut the mustard and who wasn't. And we came out of that meeting and we saw all of those people that had raised their hand. We called it getting smoked. So now they're just being torn apart by the drill sergeants. But one thing I recognized right there is that I, was, that I was committed. I said that I would do it. And as Christians, when you became a Christian, you said, Father, my life is yours. You are my Lord and Savior. The you are my Lord part means that you are committed to him. He bought your life for a price. And we've made that same commitment. You know, as I talk about the, the United States, we've had soldiers go and fight and die for our freedom. They gave their life so that we could be free it's actually the very same thing that Jesus Christ did for us. Next we see that a soldier is courageous. A soldier does not cower at what is to come but faces whatever's coming head on. I've heard it said that courage is not the absence of fear but rather the conquering of it. It's not the fact is, is there may be times in our lives that we'll have fear bubble up in our lives. Courage isn't about not feeling that. Courage is about standing against it, and in spite of what you feel, moving forward. And as a Christian soldier, when we feel fear, we're to recognize, and we can be courageous by recognizing that that spirit is not from God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of a sound mind. That doesn't come from God, and we can stand against it knowing that God is at our side. And be courageous. And finally, a soldier has honor and a soldier has integrity. A soldier, a good soldier, should be able to be relied on to be trusted. You don't want a soldier, if you're, if you're in a foxhole, if you're on the front lines, you don't want a soldier that you can't trust, that you can't trust to have your back, that's willing to put his life for you because you're willing to give your life for them. And as Christians, as Christians, that's how reliable we should be as well. That's the type of honor that we have. Matter of fact, as we were sitting at the men's meeting yesterday, they were talking about honor. And one of the things that was brought up is that, that honor is about receiving people. You don't just show honor to people by lifting them up, putting them on a pedestal stool and, and raising them higher than they really are, but you show honor to people by inviting them into your life, by allowing them to interact with you, to speak in your life. And as Christians, we need to be living honorably, inviting other Christians into our lives, inviting leaders to mentor us and, and leader and mentor others as well. So as we've looked at a little bit of what of a soldier is, let's go ahead and get started with the scriptures that I want to look at today. In 2 Timothy 2, 1-4, through 4, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus in which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You know, we draw our strength as Christians by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The grace that is in Christ Jesus is everything that Jesus did Everything that God did in Jesus and was accomplished on the cross. Because of his death on the cross, we are forgiven. We are free. We are redeemed. We are loved. We are worthy. And all these things make us stronger. They make us more confident. If you know that you are these things, how much easier is it to walk through your day instead of feeling downtrodden and unloved? Have you ever noticed that people that are down on themselves or they have very low, low self-esteem, they don't think rightly about themselves, they tend to be easy to push over, to push around. But if you've ever met people that are confident, they stand much stronger. And our confidence comes from what Jesus accomplished in us. We should be able to stand tall because we have a right idea about ourselves. We recognize that it's not in and of ourselves. But the right idea to have about yourself is that you are strong, that you are forgiven, that you are free. And like Paul told Timothy, he said, be strengthened by that grace that is in you. Next, he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men will be able to teach others also. Do you know that we need to train and to be trained? When I joined the army directly out of high school, they didn't send me directly to my first job. Everybody knows what happens when you join the army, right? Where do they send you? Basic training. Basic training. So that's where I, I was sent, to basic training. That's where I learned to be a soldier. And basic training, as, as the name uh, implies, is the basics of being a soldier. There's no specifics. It's the, it's the basics, how to use a weapon, how to survive, how to, to act as a soldier as a part of a large team, a, a large unit. That's actually why basic training is so tough on people because the first three quarters of it is to break you down, to destroy every bit of individuality that you have. And, and then the last bit is to strengthen you back up, to, to recognize that as a unit that you can function and be strong. The whole point is to teach you to be a soldier and not an individual, to be part of an army and not just looking out for yourself. And then after that, In the Army, uh, they call it AIT is the next part that you go to. And it's called Advanced Individual Training. And I know the other services have other names for it. But basically, this is where you go to be trained about your specific job. Because every soldier in the Army is a soldier. There's the basics of being a soldier. But then you each have your own individual specific jobs. Not everybody works on tanks. Not everybody's an infantryman. Not everybody's an intelligence. Those are specific to the person. And as Christians, we need to go through similar training as well. We need to learn how to be Christians. To be basic. We need to get a hold of the basics. And that's especially before we move on into ministry. In 1 Timothy 3 6, when, when uh Paul is teaching Timothy about the office of an overseer, which would be your leaders in the church, the pastors, and, and those things, he says. In verse six, verse seventy-three, six says, "He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." You know, before we move into our advanced individual Christian training, we need to get the basics down, so that way, when we're moved into those positions, that we don't fall apart. And then finally, we also need to be reproducing. It's not just about being trained, but once you're trained, you need to be training others. We should be reproducing in our body. We should be discipling somebody just as we are being discipled. And then Paul goes on to referring to us as soldiers. He says, Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I find, the first, I find it interesting that the first thing that he mentions when he talks about us being a soldier is, is not share in the glories of being in the army of God. Share in the strength of the army of God. He doesn't say share in the blessings of the army of God. He says share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. There will be suffering if you're a Christian. And times are going to be tough. There's no doubt about it. Times are going to be tough. But it is totally worth it in the long run. Sometimes there's going to be training in your life as a Christian. And God is going to be there to to get you through to the other side. God is going to walk with you every step of the way. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to have to go through some stuff. He will never leave you And he will never forsake you, but like the wind-battered tree, if we want to get stronger, we have to be pushed around a little bit so that we can become strengthened against him. And in the end, we'll be stronger for it. He'll never let us perish in those situations. But in the end, he will make good come of it, and we'll be stronger Christians. I remember when I was in AIT, one of my... You know, I don't remember, remember a lot of the good stuff that happened in basic in AIT. I remember a lot of the tough stuff. But when I was in AIT, the last bit of it, we were in Aberdeen, Maryland, in December. So it's pretty cold. And uh, they sent us out to the field. It's your, they call it your last bivouac, your last week or so in the field before your training's done. And it's, uh, it's to simulate being at war. So we're going out in the field. And it is cold. And we have to do, anybody know what stand to and lean to is? Anybody ever heard of that? Stand to and lean to are the times uh, right between where night turns to day, so the the dawn and the dusk. And what they do is at those times, that's the, the hardest time to see because It's kind of like when you drive around that time, you turn your headlights on, they don't really work because it's not really dark enough for your headlights to work, but it's not really bright enough to see like you could see in the day. It's that time of day. And that's one of the best times to attack an enemy force because you just can't see. So at that time, all the units get up and they make a perimeter around around your, your base camp and you just wait. Now, at dusk, it's not that bad. But at dawn, it is cold in Maryland, and we don't have winter gear. We're just in our regular BDUs, and we had what we called mop gear, which was our chemical training. And I remember we would, there, weren't, there was no chemical warfare. We'd all put that on as an extra layer, and we would just lay on the ground freezing. And the, the drill sergeants are, are walking around making sure that nobody's falling asleep because if somebody falls asleep in, the, in, in real life, in real war, that means that people could die. So they're walking around to make sure you're tired, you're not sleeping well, you're freezing on the hard, cold ground. And it wasn't fun, but it was training. It helped you become stronger. Next thing they'd do, they would, they would throw gas at us. We would get gas, we'd be out on, on patrols and they'd, they'd throw uh, the, not mustard gas, that would kill us. What's the, tear gas, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they would throw tear gas and you would have to practice getting your gas mask on and being ready for those kind of things. And anybody ever, anybody ever been hit with tear gas? Oh, it's good, clean fun, let me tell you. <laughs> Part of our training in basic is they sent you into a gas chamber. They just filled the thing up with gas and, and once they lined 10 or so of you in there and they'd you'd have to take your mask off and say your name and social security number so they made sure you were breathing in the gas and then they'd send you out but inevitably there was always somebody who wouldn't take their mask off so the rest of us are with our mask off we can't breathe we're dealing with this stuff and this idiot won't take his mask off so that we have to wait till he'll actually do it before we can leave but this is all training it's all about making you stronger and as christians we need to be stronger and I think that sometimes we deal with stuff in life, it's not that God's not there, it's not that God's doing it to you, but he's letting it shape you and mold you into being the, the man of God or the woman of God that you were intended to be. The next thing he says about being a soldier is we're not to get entangled in civilian pursuits. And actually these three things here, suffering, not getting entangled in civilian pursuits and and in pleasing the one who enlisted them are three main points that Paul makes about being a soldier. And we're going to look at those in more detail. But the next thing he says is we need to not get entangled in civilian affairs. When you're in the army, if you're in, in f- full time in the army, you can't get another job. Your job is the army. They're not going to let you open a business. They're not going to let you do these things because your focus needs to be the military. And even for a reservist, which I was, I was in the reserve, then I had another job. But for all reservists, even if you have another job, if you get called into duty, you pack it up and go. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. And matter of fact, that is so important that that be your primary focus, that there's actually laws in place that if you're a reservist and you have to leave, even if they ship you off for, for two years, your job has to be waiting for you when you get back. Because even in the civilian world, there are laws in place to make sure that the military is the primary focus. And as Christians, this needs to be our attitude as well, that our serving in the kingdom of God comes first over all other things in our lives. And then finally, he says that, that the reason why this is true is our aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And for us, our aim is to please God, to do what is pleasing to him. Everything that we do in our life should be honoring to him. And just like a soldier's work is to do his commander's will, Ours is to the, to do the will of the King of Kings. Amen? In Second Timothy 2, 8-13, Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy for... If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul wasn't one to, p- to preach something unless he himself was willing to do the same. And a matter of fact, that's a great quality that, that every leader should have. matter of fact, every Christian should have. It would be a shame for us to preach to people that you need to clean up your act, but on the weekends we go out and do the same the same stuff that they're doing. But Paul wasn't one to preach something unless he himself was willing to do the same. And As a matter of fact, Paul was suffering for his service as a soldier of Christ. He was imprisoned. He was considered a criminal. He was physically bound, but he also had his character attacked. He said, as I... He says, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Paul was was imprisoned. And he was suffering for the gospel. He was suffering for his king. And what we can take from this, what we can learn from this is, is you'll never see Paul whining. You'll never see Paul complaining. He's not saying, man, this isn't worth it. This is terrible. How could God do this to me? Anybody ever read Paul say, how could this be happening to me? Why, God? Anybody ever read that? It's not in my Bible, because Paul recognized that he needed to that he would suffer for his king. But he says that while you're doing this, what makes it possible, what makes makes him able to do it, is says, remember Jesus Christ, remember Jesus Christ. You know, there's people that have done crazy things because they, for a cause that they believe believed in. People have blown buildings up. People have, you know, the people that are, that are all for animals, they've dumped red paint on people. They've, I mean, people do crazy stuff for what they believe in. All the way down to the, the cults, the people that are, that are, what happened in Waco where they're drinking poison Kool-Aid because of what they believe in. People do crazy stuff when they're passionate about something. And unfortunately, misguided belief can cause unfortunate circumstances. But what we believe, what we're putting our faith in, what we're remembering as we go through these things, that is so worth putting your faith in. And if you want to endure, if you want to make it through the tough times that you're going through, then you need to remember why you're enduring. What is the purpose of this? And Jesus is our reason. Not only did He live and die, but He rose again. And this guarantees us life and liberty. And not just for us, but for all who will receive him. And this is why we endure. This is why Paul endured. Was it the lost would obtain salvation? He says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Those those are the people that would believe. That they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is why Paul did it. Paul did it so that we could receive the gospel even today. And we should be willing to endure any amount of suffering that the people behind us will be able to receive the good news, the treasure that we have inside of us. He says, this is why we do it. The saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. You know, he's going to endure anything because he knows that With Christ Jesus, he died with him. On that cross, Paul was up on the cross with him. On that cross, if you've been saved by faith, you were up on the cross with him. And therefore, if you died with him, then you will live with him. He goes on to say that if we endure, we will also reign with him. That if we will continue on in the faith. If we will not turn around and run away when things get hard, but if we will endure, then we are guaranteed to be risen up again with Him in life. We will reign with Him. But it does say that if we deny Him, He will also deny us. That's the endurance part. If you endure through the end, you will reign with Him. But if things get tough and you begin to deny Him, you begin to walk away, then He'll deny us. You see, the reality is that our dealing with God depends entirely on our response to him. And then Paul goes on to say, <clears throat> If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And Basically what he's saying here is, even if we don't believe, even if we don't have faith in him, it doesn't change anything as far as Jesus is concerned. Our disbelief does not nullify the reality of what has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. In other words, his faithfulness to his covenant is not dependent on us to enter into it. Even if no one accepted his gift, his gift would still stand. But however, those who reject the covenant cannot be saved because it says if they deny him, he will deny them as well. In First Peter, we find that Paul is not the only one that suffers. In 1 Peter 4.12-16, through 16, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I love the way he, word, he words that. He says, don't be surprised. It's like that's something strange. Basically, what he's saying is, yeah, it's going to happen. This is common. It's not strange. It's not out of place. You will face fiery trials. It's going to happen. You're going to face fiery trials. Paul also tells us that we're going to be persecuted as well. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We're going to face suffering. We're going to face trials, hard times. However, Peter instructs us to rejoice in those sufferings. He says rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. How do you share Christ's sufferings? We share it by faith. We obviously are not going to the cross ourselves. We're obviously not being having our backs split open by whips like He did, but we share in those sufferings by faith in Christ because that penalty was supposed to be ours, but instead He took it for us. So he says, insofar as you share in his sufferings, basically, insofar as that you have faith in him, that you are a Christian, <clears throat> rejoice and be glad. I'm sorry. <clears> he <throat> says, rejoice in these sufferings as long as you're a Christian, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're a Christian and you're suffering for his name, rejoice. Because when it comes down to it, when His glory is revealed, we'll find that this is temporary. The suffering was worth it, and we are going to, to reign and be glorified with Him. Then he goes on to say, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you are insulted for Christ, you are blessed. Does that make sense to anybody? I look at that and it doesn't make sense to me, because being insulted and suffering has never seemed like a blessing to me then i got to think about it it's if you're being if you're suffering for being a christian if you are if you are being it must mean you look like a christian if you were living your life and you look just like the world you're not going to be persecuted as a christian you're not going to suffer as a christian so therefore, if you're living your life as a Christian, you're actually, there's some evidence on the outside, then yes, that's why you're blessed, because you're a Christian. You're loved of God. You have the real deal going on. But he doesn't say to rejoice in all suffering. Only the suffering that comes from being a Christian, because you're a Christian. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, or an evildoer or as a meddler. Basically, he's saying that, You know what? If you end up suffering because you're a Christian, rejoice in that. You are blessed in that. But if you're you're suffering because you're a murderer, knock that junk off. Don't rejoice in that. Stop what you're doing. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. You know, there is no shame... And suffering for a Christian, you know, in Acts fifty, or sorry, Acts five, forty through forty-one, it says, "When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go." Then they left the ca- the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. You know, they were they were being dragged into prison. They were being beaten. From the outside looking in, it looked like they were common criminals. You know, and if if you were a criminal, you had a reason to be ashamed. But Peter says, don't be ashamed that that's why you're dragged into there. But that person should instead glorify God, just like Peter did there when he was drugged in and beaten. He said, you know what? It's honorable to suffer for the king, and he rejoiced in it. In Matthew six twenty-five through 33 we're going to go ahead and, and, and move on to the next point. The first point was that we need to suffer as a good soldier of Christ. The next point is that we need to not get entangled in the affairs of this world, in civilian affairs. And when we're referring to, to soldiers in the army of Christ, anything that is involved in the, with the kingdom, that is a, a military affair. That is a, a, your service to the king. But anything outside of that is your civilian pursuits. And in Matthew six twenty-five through 30, thirty-three, it says, "Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on." Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if gods Close the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious saying, "What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When I was in the army, I didn't have to worry about. Food, clothing, shelter, any of those things. When I was in the army, they they issued me a place to stay. They took care of my, my clothing. They made sure I was fed. All of these things that he's talking about here where people are concerned within the world, clothing, food, all of those things, they were taken care of by the one I was enlisted to. It was all provided so that Those were not things I had to worry about that I could focus on my duties as a soldier. Matter of fact, there's there's a joke around in the... the, What are you laughing at? Praise God. (laughs) I needed to focus on my responsibilities as a soldier. Therefore, (laughs) they were taken care of for me. There was always... Jokes about these old honorary generals in the military, these, these higher up captains that would be like, that were unmarried, and they were asked, Why aren't you married? And they said, Well, I figure if the army wanted me to have a wife, they would have issued me one. They weren't focused on outside life, they were focused on their, on their responsibilities as a soldier. And as Christians, we need to have that same attitude. We need to not be entangled in the things of this world, worrying about are we going to have enough to eat? Are we going to have food? Are we going to get a bigger house? Are we going to have nicer clothes? Are we going to have all of these things? This is not the attitude that we should have, but rather we should seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We should focus on our responsibilities as soldiers in the army of heaven and just like in the real army, in, in the American army where these things are taken care of, God will take care of you. He will make sure that you have what you need if you will put Him first, His business first. But when we get entangled in the things of this world, when we begin to to hunt out the nicer cars, the, the better jobs for the sake of just having more, when we begin to to look at having nicer clothes or all of these different things then we're putting our own selves first. We're putting our our own lives first instead of the kingdom of heaven. We essentially decide that keeping up with the Joneses is more important than serving Him and we effectively limit His ability to work in our lives. This is particularly true when you go in debt to do so. We begin to limit what God can do like Joseph was talking about in the men's meeting you know, we want to be in a position, if God were to say, pack up and move on, I have something for you to do, we don't want to be able to go, God, I'd really love to, but I can't, I have, I'm in debt with my house and my car and credit cards up to my ears. That limits what God can do in our lives and what we can do for God. But I'm so thankful that His Word says that if we keep our focus on Him and on His kingdom and His righteousness, all of these things will be added. I believe that God wants us to have whatever that we need. And if that means nicer clothes or a better job or all of these things, God wants us to prosper. But we need to make sure that we're, we're looking at His kingdom and not our own. I've heard it said that if God can get it through you, He'll get it to you. If we'll put His kingdom first, He'll make sure that we have everything that we need for every good work. Amen? In Matthew six twenty three through 24 it says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. This is more to the point of... of getting entangled in our civilian pursuits. What that means is we have more than one master. See, the greatest danger of becoming entangled with with worldly pursuits, civilian pursuits, is that we kind of get a split personality. On one hand, we say we're serving God, but everything that we're doing shows that we're just serving ourselves. Where we are looking has a great impact on where we are heading, where our focus is. Christ says here, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And what do we do with our eyes? Our eyes is what we're looking at. What our focus is on. If our eye is directed upward, then that's going to be the direction that we're heading. But if our eye is our earthbound, then that's the direction that we'll be heading as well. Matthew says that if our eye is healthy then our whole body is going to be healthy. Have you ever uh, been out walking in the the woods or the desert or something? And and I don't know if you know this, when when people walk, they have a tendency, if they're right-handed, I believe they have a tendency to veer to the right. If you're left-handed, you have a tendency to veer to the left. And if you're out being trained in how to walk straight so you don't have those issues then they teach you to look at something far ahead and walk towards that. That'll keep you straight. What you're, whatever your eyes are focused on is what you're going to be heading towards. But if you've ever noticed, and, and I've especially seen this a lot in my, in my daughter, as she's learning how to drive. If you tend to look one way when you're driving, you'll notice your car begins to drift that way until you, you've got some experience to counteract what that's happening. But when you're, when you're young and you first start doing it, you, you really see it pronounced. And the same is for us. If we are trying to walk towards God, but we, we keep looking at the world, we're going to end up veering away from God. And that's why that if your lamp is, your eye is healthy, your lamp is healthy, that your body will be healthy. Anybody ever heard of tree skiing? This is a, I just reading about it yesterday. I guess it's a weird place to ask that. It seems like we live in Arizona. But uh, tree skiing is, is where skiers will, instead of going to established... Uh, downhill slopes they 'll go and, and basically it 's kind of like cross country skiing, but down a mountain because nobody ever skis there because well, you know there 's trees everywhere, but apparently the snow, the powder is amazing because nobody ever skis there it 's just pristine, so people will go out there and they 'll do this tree skiing, and it 's apparently a, a really big thrill because you know you don 't want to hit a tree but That's the key of doing this successfully is not hitting a tree. And one of the people that do this, he says that even more so than in deep snow or moguls, what you focus your eyes on becomes critical in the woods. He says you look at the spaces between the trees, the exits where you hope to be traveling. Basically, he says, don't stare at what you don't want to hit. And the same goes for us in our Christian walk. And the truth is that we can't serve two masters. That's what happens when you try to serve two masters. You get somewhere in the middle. No one can serve two masters, for you to either hate the one and love the other, devoted to the one and despise the other. Anybody ever been in a position where you have two people above you and authority over you, but they're perfectly equal, but they have two completely different visions or ideas? Anybody ever tried to work like that? How fun is that? it's it's impossible to work in that type of situation because you're you're torn from one and on the other you don't know what you're going to do it just can't work or has anybody ever been involved in something that is led by committee especially if you're waiting for a decision from a committee that takes about 400 times longer than if you just had one person in charge one person that can make a decision the same is true in our christian walk if we try to serve two masters, then we'll never go the direction that we want to go. It's impossible to get a decision made. It's impossible to live correctly. This is why Jesus said that you will love one and hate the other. This is because that, that not only do they disagree, but they are complete opposites with each other. Polar opposites. So in order to do the one which is opposite the other, they're going to be conflicting. So the fact is that you're going to hate one and love the other. And the interesting thing about that is that if if you find yourself loving the world, the world, then that means you actually hate Jesus. Because you can't love them both. So if you take a step back and you realize, you know what, I, I'm really loving the world, then you know what the, the the truth of that reality is is that then you really don't love Jesus. This, this example here is dealing particularly with God and money. If you're letting money rule your life, or, or like we were talking about civilian pursuits for your life, but it's not just that. Anything can be put in that other seat against God. It could be work, money, sex, fun, your spouse even. Anything that is trying to compete for a position of authority in your life with God is this thing right here. And we can't serve them both. The next thing we're going to look at is, is we need to please the one who enlisted us as a soldier. Ephesians 5, 7-10 through 10 says, Therefore do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The first step in pleasing God is to not become a partaker of with darkness. That's who you were. That's not who you are anymore. Second Corinthians 5.17 says you are a new creation in Christ. That's what he's saying here. One time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And if you want to be pleasing to the Lord, walk in that light. So the question we have to ask is, how do we stop being partners with darkness? And the simple answer is faith. And it's actually the only way to please God is with faith. In Hebrews 11.6 it says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Without faith it's impossible to please God. Basically we must trust God is who He says He is and that He'll do what He says that He will do. And this is, knowing who God is and trusting who He is, trusting that He's accomplished in us what He says He's accomplished is what directs our steps. In fact, the faith that we have in Him, the Scripture says that we should walk by that. Second Corinthians 5.7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Our faith in Him and our faith in what He has accomplished in us should direct our every step. The reason why that you don't become partakers with darkness, is because you know that He has made you brand new. His Word says that you are children of the light. And if we believe that, if we, if we trust that what He says is true about us, that's how we don't get entangled in those very things. Matter of fact, the Scripture says that anything that we do that is not from faith is sin. That's kind of a hard statement to hear. In Romans fourteen twenty three it says, "But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, but he is eating, because the eating is not from faith. For what does whatever does not proceed from faith is sin." Now the context of what Paul is dealing with here is those who were were eating food that was considered unclean according to Jewish law, food that was sacrificed to idols in this case, and he says that if you ate that with faith, that all things are clean for those who are in Christ then you're eating in faith and you're good to go but if there was doubting if there was any lack of faith then you were eating in sin so this means that when we walk in faith when we trust him in our every action then we are being pleasing to God but when we but when we don't walk in faith it's not pleasing to God because we're basically walking in sin. But I thank God that as Christians we walk by faith and not by sight. That, that by faith we recognize that we're not darkness anymore, that we are walking in the light. And as we walk in faith, I thank God that we are pleasing to Him. Amen. In 2 Timothy 2, 5-7, through 7, it says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. This is the, the Scripture directly after Paul comparing. He's talking to Timothy he compared us to soldiers, Christians to soldiers. This is the following Scripture. And he continues on, he says, An athlete is not crowned, in verse 5, unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farm, farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding. In everything. So, like I said, this is right after he, he uses the, the soldier analogy to, to describe who we are as Christians. Now he's he's using an athlete to try to describe to us who we should be as Christians. You see, in Roman times, athletes in the games were a really, really big deal. Matter of fact, the Olympics are from those times. <clears throat> And then he talks about, pardon me, I lost my place. I said in in Roman times, the athletes were a big deal. The, The Olympic Games at that time were a big deal. And in the Greek Games, the Olympics in particular, the judges were very careful about enforcing rules. And we're talking about here, he says that an athlete is not crown unless he competes according to the rules. And in the Greek Games, they had to meet every single one of those rules if they wanted to compete. Each competitor had to be a citizen of his nation with a good reputation and in preparation for the event he had to follow specific standards and if an athlete was found defective in any matter he was disqualified from competing. Even if after he had competed and he had won he was found to have broken some rule his crowns would be removed from him, his medals would be removed from him. You guys ever heard of Jim Thorpe? He was, he was a great All-American athlete. And in 1912, he won Olympic gold medals for the pentathlon and the decathlon. And then they ended up taking those medals away from him because the rules at the time said that you could not be a professional athlete to compete in the games. And they found that he had competed before his time in the Olympics. For a short time, he was, he was part of a, a semi-professional baseball team. And because he had not competed according to the rules, they removed his winnings. And Paul's using this because he's saying, as Christians, we need to make sure that we are playing by the rules as well. We can't have a choose-your-own-religion mentality, like so many in this country do. We must follow the entirety of God's word. There are no shortcuts. There are no other way. In John fourteen six, Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can't take a shortcut. We can't be good enough. We can't be pretty good people, and we can't pick the parts that we want. We have to play according to the rules. Then he goes on to compare us to farmers, to a farmer who also have qualities that are important to Christians. I know that, that farmers are hard work. Anybody ever met a farmer, an actual farmer? Really? And my, my grandpa was a my grandpa was a farmer. And uh, they're just incredibly hard workers. As a matter of fact, he died uh, from stomach cancer, I believe, and the reason why it was so bad when they found it is that because of his the strength of a of character that he had, because he was such a hard worker that he just figured he was feeling under the weather. He kept saying, I'm just a little under the weather. Then he'd go out and work. When he finally felt sick enough to go in, it was stage four stomach cancer that had, that had spread everywhere. There was nothing that they could do. But farmers are tough, hard workers. They get up early in the morning and they go to bed. They work from, you know, from daylight to, to dark every single day. And if they're not hardworking, then the only thing that they get where their crops should be is weeds. Next, we know that, that farmers are patient because they work and work all through the year for a single harvest. They plant what they, what they put down, and, and it's not instant gratification. It's not like the, the magic beans of Jack and the Beanstalk. They plant, and they have to wait, and they have to cultivate, and they work hard every day. As Christians, we should have that same attitude. And then he says that they deserve their share of the crops. The working farmer we'll ought to have the first share of the crops. And in this particular case, Paul's talking to to Timothy, who is a pastor, saying that basically the pastor should be supported by their church if they're hardworking teaching the gospel. But also, as a as a, a side truth to that, is that spiritual leaders. I read this in a a commentary, and I thought it was really well put. It says, The spiritual leaders who share the word with the people are the first to enjoy its blessings. The preacher and the teacher always get more out of sermon or lesson than do the hearers because they put much more into it. They also get great joy out of seeing planted seeds bear fruit in the lives of others. Farming is hard work, and it can have many disappointments, but the rewards are worth it. That was from the Bible Exposition Commentary. I thought it was a really really good quote. And he's talking about spiritual leaders, but I want you to know that this is true for all Christians. When we study God's Word, that we may be better able to share it with others. It's a blessing to us as well. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, we're going to see more of that, that uh, uh, athlete comparison, the athlete analogy. Paul is speaking here. He says, do you, know, not, do you not know in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified as he continues to use his his athlete analogy, he basically says, you know what? Athletes don't compete just to tie. It's not like sports today where everybody gets a, a green ribbon for participation. Their goal is not to finish on equal footing with everybody else. Their goal is to win. That's why athletes train. That's why they train hard is they want to finish the race. They want to be in first place. In order to win, they have to train hard and they have to play hard. And as Christians, as we run our race, we need to run within purpose as well. We need to run like we intend to win, like we intend to make it to the finish line. This is not a pastime, but it's our lives. Then he goes on to say that every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Have you guys ever seen documentaries or anything on serious athletes, or have you ever known any serious athletes and what the stuff that they go through to be at peak condition for their sport? They restrict their diets. They, they commit to specific training and rest schedules. They, everything that they do is meticulously planned for the greatest impact for their body so that it can be lean and mean and just a, a fighting machine. They can get in there and, and do what they have to do. I've uh, read some stuff about uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Dude eats like 8,000 calories a day, something like that, so that he can maintain his muscle. He's committed. And that's not like what well, we eat. That's not McDonald's. That's clean. That's a lot of food. But it's so he can maintain his muscle mass. And he, he works out hard every day. And if you've ever seen the dude, the dude's Massive. But it's because he has a purpose for what he's doing. And if you've ever seen boxers train, they train hard so they're effective in the ring. And if you've seen runners train, I mean, marathon runners, they get out there. These guys are running like four and a half minute, five minute miles for 26.1 miles. Because they've trained hard for that. And they put themselves through grueling things to be able to do those kind of things. And Paul says, you know what, they do this kind of stuff and they're doing it to receive a perishable wreath. They're going for a trophy or a title or a medal that is only for a temporary thing. He says, you know what, what we're competing for is not a perishable wreath, but it's everlasting life. When we need to to push ourselves to the end to be the best Christians that we can be, should we not discipline ourselves even more Or even to a greater level, since our prize is worth so much more than the prizes they're competing for? That's why Paul says, You know what? I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He says, You know what? I practice what I preach, and we need to do that as well as Christians. Because what a shame it would be that if we led hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ, but we don't make it ourselves because we don't actually live what we're teaching. You know, you can preach the gospel. You can lead people to Christ and not be saved yourself. We need to make sure that we're disciplining our bodies, doing the right things ourselves, and practicing what we preach. Amen? Wow, this is going way longer than I thought it would. Are you getting mad because we're supposed to be going on vacation? (laughs) Deuteronomy, we'll end here. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. As a soldier, as an athlete, we need to be strong and courageous. As a soldier in the army of God, this is what we need to be. And this strength and this courage, it comes from the Lord. It's not from within ourselves. But it's because he lives inside of us and because he's always behind us, backing us up. So as we wrap it up today, let's resolve to be good soldiers in the army of God today. Let's put his kingdom first and be careful not to get tied up in this world and have that split personality. But let's live, the, let's live our lives with the intent of pleasing him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.